Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Welcome to the Commonwealth Club. I'm George Hammond, Chair of the Humanities Program. And I would like to welcome our live audience here today in San Francisco and our radio and online audiences. It's my great pleasure to introduce uh, Natalie Galli, uh, who has written the book, The Girl Who Said No, A Search in Sicily, a very interesting framework in which to do travel history in, 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 or a travel uh, narrative for Sicily. How many have been to Sicily? Oh, good. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for coming. Thank you, George, for the introduction. And thanks to the Commonwealth Club for this invitation. It's really an honor. Um, I also want to thank Larry Habiger for editing The Girl Who Said No and then publishing it. Larry, there you are. Um, he made an essentially solitary effort on my part, that of writing, become a team project culminating in publication. That may sound a little ho-hum. That's what editors and publishers do, right? Yes, that's what they do, but actually it's everything. Until I could present my work to the public, this memoir was still in gestation. She was delivered on April 23rd at 7 p.m. at Book Passage in Corte Madera, weighing in at one pound, one ounce. That's for the paperback. She weighs more in hardcover. So she's four weeks old today. So who is this girl who said no? What did she say no to? Why does she matter? I've written this book to detail as much as I could about her story and to tell it more or less chronologically in the way I experienced, which makes Sicily a major character in the book. Um, I wove into this memoir the history of whether I was able to find this girl named Franca Viola or whether I wasn't able to find her. So I'll ask the few of, the, of you who may have already read the book not to divulge the answer today, if anybody here has read the book or is reading it, so that the mystery remains intact for those who haven't read it yet. Thank you. So a little history about moi. Um, I know exactly which San Francisco flats my parents were born in. My dad came into the world in 1910 at number six Imperial Avenue, a half block long pathway abutting Greenwich Street in Cow Hollow. And in 1913, my mom was delivered at home by her father, a medical physician, and her mother in an apartment with a bay window at the southwest corner of Union and Mason Streets. So for both, Italian was their first language. My mother also heard Sicilian dialect, though she was warned against speaking it outside the home. I was going to say threatened, but I don't, I don't know. My grandmother was a wonderful pacifist, but she you know, wielded a wooden spoon. If anybody comes from an Italian background, the wooden spoon is a talisman. <laughs> Anyway, she was warned against speaking it outside the home, all the more reason, of course, for her to absorb it. And even one generation later, I somehow inherited the taste of it, a kind of Sicilian sensation that I had in my body. So 
My unconscious feelers were probably out when, as my prologue reads, I could so easily have missed the tiny item in the San Francisco Chronicle, but sometime during the spring of 1966, on the hunt for a current events article to bring to six-period social studies, I came upon the three-inch filler. Raped Sicilian girl refuses to marry. Trapani, Italy. A young woman has shocked her countrymen by refusing to marry a man who raped her. Franca Viola, 18 years old, has defied more than 1,000 years of Sicilian tradition by rejecting nuptials with Filippo Melodia, 25 years old, who tried to force her into marriage by the time-honored custom of abduction and rape. Convention dictates that Viola must accept a reparation marriage with Melodia to restore her broken honor. The tradition is still part of Italian law, which provides that all charges be dropped when a woman weds a man, the man who has kidnapped and carnally violated her. The girl has publicly avowed that she has no intention of changing her mind, despite the forceful opinions of many of her townspeople. She has not left her, her family's modest white home for several weeks. They have endured repeated vandalism and threats of violence. I did not cut out this article. We had to bring something front page to class but I never forgot the Sicilian woman's story. And I'll just add that I was 13 years old when I happened upon this article, almost 14. So um, I'm going to read quite a few selections, and I will be taking questions for the last third of the hour. Um, so if you have questions, hang on to them unless you're dying to ask me and I could interrupt what I'm doing. And also I wanted to let you know that the book is full of Italian vocabulary and I've provided a glossary at the back because it, there are just too many um, words to keep track of if you don't know the language and I don't want anyone to get lost. So there will be a few scattered throughout what I'm reading. So the second um, excerpt is from chapter two, which is entitled Packing. So you're going to Sicily. If you've got a minute, give me a ring, all right? Love you, honey. The voluptuous voice of my mother's old friend, Evelyn, kind of like an aunt to me, spilled out of the answering machine. I shoved aside a pile of travel clothes I'd been building to grab the phone. Ev? Hey, kid, you're there. I'm so excited for you, honey. With Evelyn, it took just one syllable of her warm tone to conjure up the complete image, the figure eight and a half curves and bouffant caramel hair, the full mouth coated with coral joy lipstick, her signature color. What's the occasion? Well, a bunch of us got laid off last week, and not from, your writing, not from writing your consumer alert column, I hope, she blurted. The urgency, the concern, the worry, so Sicilian, one generation into the diaspora. 
No, I still write the column. I meant the other boring accounts payable one. I'm grabbing the opportunity while I'm free. I've been wanting to go back for a million years. So I thought, what a great chance to see the Easter celebrations and visit my relatives in Palermo again. And also, I've got this wild idea to go looking for a woman I read about when I was in junior high. What woman? With Evelyn, brevity was key. I described what I remembered of the filler, the one you just heard. She drew air in and held it. Oh, my. Yeah, I know. What year was that? 1966, I think. You can't look her up here. I've tried all the main libraries and called the Chronicle, but their archive indexes don't go back that far. And they didn't document fillers anyway, I'm pretty sure. Nothing's been written about her that I can find. You know, kid, I know something about marriage customs too. My mother didn't want to marry my father, but she had to anyway. Her parents and his parents arranged the wedding, and that was that, you know? She didn't have any say. Wow. Absolutely. However, as a consequence, that became her ticket out. They took a boat to America when Ma was in her early 20s and never went back. And for another, she used... um, Sorry, um, jump back a bit. Um, Her early 20s and never went back. Things were pretty hopeless there. The poverty, for one thing... And for another, she used to tell me how every Saturday someone would be gunned down in the city. What a world, I'm telling you. Which city? Agrigento. Oh, the mafia. She lowered her voice. Shh, don't say it out loud. They call them retaliation killings. Yeah, vendettas. Don't say it. Deadly. They'd stay inside terrified. I remember her words. She said, every weekend, our hearts were in our throats. Whoa. Mind you, she was in her own home when no one else was there when we were talking, but the need to whisper was uh, critical for her, as it is for so many Sicilians of a certain generation. I can't speak now for what uh, younger Sicilians are like, but for the people who emigrated from Sicily, uh, there was a cultural kind of silence that is criti- was critical for maintaining life in many instances. Um, and so... That was part of the atmosphere that I grew up in with a very, very quiet, stoic grandmother from Palermo who uh, was the opposite of a stereotype of a, you know, overwhelming Sicilian, loud, operatic person. She was very quiet and she had reasons to be quiet. And... uh, I also learned how to be quiet, which is possibly part of the reason I didn't ask my relatives on the first trip to Sicily if they knew anything about the girl I had read about a few years before. So I had somehow um, 
inhaled and held that um, tendency towards silence when in doubt. So I'm going to read from chapter four now. This is when I arrived in Palermo and I um, was staying with my uh, mother's first cousin, Maya, um, who I'd known, I had met her before. And we were sitting down to dinner the first night and this is the conversation that happened. Maya stood to clear the dishes and I jumped up to help. No, no, you're the guest. Sit, relax. She returned with a bowl of oranges. We shaved thin pieces off a wedge of pecorino cheese on a platter between us. Maya? Sicara. Do you happen to remember someone by the name of Franca Viola? Franca Viola, she sat upright, looking straight, piercingly at me. Of course I remember her. Whatever became of her? That I do not know. She put her knife down. Why do you ask such a thing? I've always been curious about her story. Do you think she's still alive? Oh, surely she's still alive. If she were not, we would have heard about it. Do you suppose she stayed in Trapani all this time? Trapani? That's not where she lived. That's not where the kidnap occurred. It was in Alcamo. This I remember absolutely. Ah, and how far to Alcamo from Palermo? Just an hour from here, if that, traveling from the airport in the opposite direction. So you think she still lives in Sicily then? My cousin grew wide-eyed. Probably... The conversation, which had been moving along so well, with me feeling kind of confident in the language, halted. We don't talk about these things anymore, she finally added. It happened a long time ago, and it was very sad and hard on the poor girl. People don't like to bring it up. No? I would like to find out where she is. Maya sat rigid, puzzled. Because she was so strong, so courageous. But how? There is no means to find this woman, Natalie, she said urgently, her neck muscles straining. No, I straightened my spine. With her fruit knife, Maya took an orange and peeled it, rotating it slowly so the skin fell away in a helix toward her plate. I don't see how you can do it. Well, I was thinking I could go to her town, to Alcamo, and ask around. I wouldn't do that if I were you. (laughs) Her knife was poised, suspended in one hand, the peel of the orange boing-boinging from the other. Did you hear that? Did you hear my... Okay, that means no in Sicilian. Okay, my mouth is kind of... Let me get a little water. I always have to do service to this um, expression because it's used so often in Sicily. There are many ways to say no, and one of them is... Okay, so... She clicked her tongue and wagged her finger. It's not done. 
I busied myself trying to make an orange peel helix like hers. Red juice splattered all over the plate. It could be dangerous, she continued. Even though it happened over 22 years ago, I broke the fruit into segments. A blood orange, it tasted like raspberry perfume. Maya was shaking her head in thought. I'll tell you one thing. Her story was front page news for a year. I remember very clearly those daily headlines about Viola. Oh, yes. Were most people on her side? In the North, absolutely. But Sicilians were deeply divided on the subject. Some felt that she was completely out of line. They called her the most terrible names out in the street. Ugly things. Putana, strega, diavola. Whore, witch, she-devil. Can you imagine? Though many, many Sicilians did support her. Did you? She twisted a button on her blouse. I did, of course. How common was the kidnap custom? I mean, did the guy just pick out a woman and drag her off? How did it work exactly? Beh. That's another... Sicilian, uh, Italian expression means, well, beh. Maya shifted in her chair and put the knife down. Do you know about the fuitina? The little flight, she flapped her fingers like wings. The little flight, it means elopement. Couples who wanted to marry against their parents' wishes say they had been formally engaged to others or they had no money for a wedding or they had to do so in a hurry, if you understand my meaning, made a fuitina. It was a pretend kidnap, a sort of a ritual in which the boy stole the girl and they spent time alone together. Now they were considered as good as married. Well, how often did fuitina happen? It was common. And how often kidnap? Often enough, unfortunately, How far back did the kidnap custom go? Eh, Maya whirled her hand in the air. Centuries, well, millennia. Back to the ancient Greeks, they had a term for it, kleptogamos, literally meaning stolen wedding. We can look to the Romans as well, and certainly the Arabs. Beh, what about the Old Testament? You ask a big question with a veiled answer. This is an island, after all, where everything that came here tended to stick. Does it still happen, Maya? Oh, no. We're very modern now. Viola changed all that. Did she? No kidding. What good news. Was her kidnap supposed to be a fuitina? No, no. She did not want that man. I'm merely describing those times. Remember, back then, a girl always had chaperones. Her honor was of supreme importance. In those days, a boy would visit a girl in her living room. Mother and grandmother and aunt would sit down, too. The couple never went out for a suite together. Never. They would not go to the cinema by themselves, ever. They might have had, effectively, no chance to talk alone and to get to know each other until after the matrimonial ceremony. 
The girl would have to let the boy know she liked him with a look or a signal of some sort. Such would become the engagement. Or it was accomplished by the relatives arranging everything, and the girl was frequently the last in the family to know. Many girls had no choice, but this was not what happened to La Viola. What did happen to La Viola? Maya gazed out on the summit of the great mountain, Monte Pellegrino. I'll speak to my son when he returns. She paused and pushed her plate to the side. They're away for a few days and very excited that you are here. I'll see what he thinks about this. Ah, he may know someone who would know. I can't promise anything, Natalie. You do understand that. Capisco, I understand. And I must tell you that for the next four days, everything closes. There's not a person you could call who will be at work until Tuesday. It's Holy Week. We have many Easter celebrations to see in these next several days. Yes, how thrilling. I can hardly wait. Okay, as you Americans say, we begin tomorrow morning. She set the plates on the cart. A zing of excitement rushed through me. I began to clear the table. She wouldn't let me into the kitchen to wash dishes. Rest, she urged. So um, moving ahead to halfway through the elaborate Easter ceremonies, which are spectacular and wonderful, and um, maybe some of you have seen them. Has anybody gone to Holy Week in Sicily? There are events all over, and they're quite elaborate, and they're ancient, uh, and they last all day and some into the night. And so the next um, segment I want to read to you is right after Maya and I have gone to a um, district called Partana. Who is from Partana? Yes. And there are two Partanas, so I'm not sure which one you were referring to. But this one is a, um, a suburb of Palermo, um, a town, Mondello, has this section called Partana. And we went to see Christ being crucified. And that's described earlier. It was, um, it, it took a long time. Um, and uh, I won't get into that here, but when we came home and uh, Maya dismissed my idea that maybe we could take a ride to Alcamo, she said, no, 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 I can't do that today. I don't do those distances anymore. Um, besides, we have to go back to have lunch. <laughs> and um, lunch, I learned, is probably the most sacrosanct ritual still going on in Italy. I hope it remains in a way. It's when everything closes down, all the museums, all the businesses, uh, or almost all of them, um, and the municipal um, functions close down and everyone goes home, or most people go home to have lunch. That's from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. And that includes a siesta, and then it's time to go back to work from 4 to 8 or the general hours. So uh, I went home, and I w they stuffed me. And um, when I had some very powerful Sicilian wine that's 17% alcohol um, by volume, is that the expression? It's 
because Sicilian wine is stronger because the sun is so strong and the grapes are cultivated to achieve huge amounts of alcohol. Um, so after lunch, when I was drifting off trying to um, make sense of the fact that I had just had wine in the middle of the day, um, when we finished, Maya retreated to her room and I dizzily did the same. Leaden drifting off in the afternoon heat, I, I had an awful dream that referred back to the a crucifixion event that earlier that day. Um, and then I, my eyes shot open and through the slats of the shutters, I could see her assistant who cooked us lunch beating a rug out on the terrace. I couldn't get used to this siesta idea, just lying here while the sun rode high in the sky. I grabbed my jacket and made for the front door. And by the way, this is Holy Saturday, so we're in the thick of um, the events of the resurrection. But the the resurrection has not happened yet. Directionless, happy, pulled along by a faint magnet, I covered a lot of ground. The small streets I was passing through were named for authors and philosophers who Maya would probably be able to quote. I started pronouncing them out loud. The rhapsody of Via Mario Rapisardi, the melody of Via Ludovico Ariosto, the tongue-tickling Via Torquato Tasso. Who wouldn't fall in love with these names? At the intersection of Via Francesco Petrarca and the Passaggio dei Poeti, the passage of the poets, I was ready to surrender citizenship. So many writers, so little time. Natalia Galli, most recently of overly familiar Berkeley, and the boring old United States, has euphorically set up shop under a caper vine at Piazza Boccaccio 70. Office hours Tuesday and Thursday, 4 to 6, otherwise by appuntamento. I kept on. A trio of old women were climbing the steps of a small church. I followed them in and stood at the back in the shadows while they joined the many black-clad and bowed heads bunched at the front of the chapel. Above the altar, a scarlet cloth had been wrapped around the crucifix. Jesus had disappeared under the folds. A lament rose, Latin in words and Moorish in sound. I listened until it began to feel too heavy, too smothering, too suffocating. I needed fresh air, needed to keep moving. So after sidling up to a rack of flickering votives, lighting one candle, dropping two dollar bills into the metal box, I still hadn't exchanged my money at a bank yet. I prayed for guidance to locate Via Franca Viola and left. I grabbed a bus heading downtown. The driver honked and sparred with cars, barreling from one side of the boulevard to the other, raucous during the height of the holy afternoon siesta. When we reached the end of the line in front of the central train station, on a whim, I thought, well, I'll just look inside at departure times so that after the holidays, I can plan a ride to Alcamo. The schedule read... Acireale Catania, Agrigento, Alcamo via Trapani, and the next train was due to leave in 20 minutes. Oh, what great luck. I'll just go right now. One round trip to Alcamo, please. 
I found a bench on the platform. Dialect echoed through the station, sounding staccato and spicy, with lots of energy built right into it, especially powered by the ooh that ends so many Sicilian words. Nani, my grandmother, had warned her new world children, my mother and her baby brother Bruno, to never dare slip into it outside the home or else, as I mentioned, the wooden spoon. In, um, in public, proper Italian first, English would come with school, of course. The shame of being from the South. And as I mentioned, she hadn't fetched the spoon to, she had even fetched the spoon to wave around as a warning, though she would never have used it on them. My grandmother was a pacifist. So I knew all of one earthy Sicilian expression that my mom had taught me and hoped that the right occasion to use it would present itself on this trip. Era bedu u pitrusinu, vinuatu e pichau. The parsley was beautiful until the cat peed on it. <laughs> I practiced out loud, my eyes closed. The parsley was beautiful until the cat peed on it? What? The face of a man with a circumflex-shaped mustache hovered a few inches in front of me. It must have taken a long time for him to clip his mustache. So pencil-thin, maybe a barber did it for him. What are you, English? I stood, American. What are you doing here, miss? Where are you going? Alcamo via Trapani. He struck a match to light a cigarette. I asked the question because you look like you're waiting for a train. Isn't this the platform for Alcamo? Eh, he gestured with his palms open. Eh. Um. <laughs> the gestures are important. I couldn't insert them in the book, but they're critical. But the train, he said, you're, you're on the right platform, but the train will leave you in Trapani, and you'll have no way of getting to Alcamo. What do you mean? Don't you know there's a strike going on? What? A strike of state bus conductors. You're joking. Magari, I wish, you'll be stranded there in Trapani. There will be no autobus to connect you to Alcamo, Miss America. How come they sold me a ticket then? Beh, they sell tickets whether or not the connecting vehicles run. <laughs> But that's absurd. Eh, he blew all his smoke straight at me. You are listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live for one of our 500 programs each year. You can find us online at commonwealthclub.org. Now, back to our program. How long has the strike been going on? Mm, since last night. How long will it last? He laughed. Do you think I am God? No, I don't think you're God. I started back down the platform. Thank you for letting me know. This trip would have been pointless. He followed. I can arrange a ride for you. I have a friend nearby with a car. No, no. 
but I can help you out. Smoke plumed all around. You need to go to Alcamon, non è vero? Yes, but not now. Now I need to leave. Goodbye. He ran in front of me and blocked my way, shaking his head in confusion, his hands spread wide. Being in the company of Maya so far, I hadn't bothered to put on the plastic wedding ring, but I felt for it in my purse as I clomped along the track. That ticket seller was going to hear it from me. Only when I got there, he had vanished, leaving a cigarette burning in an ashtray. Hello, I called out. What am I supposed to do with this ticket? Hello. Strikes sometimes go on for months. Strikes are as common here as unfiltered cigarettes and soccer matches and church bells. Does it expire today? I can buy it back from you at a discount, Mustache answered. If you come with me across the street, my friend who's got the car will drive us to Alcamo. No, I slipped the ring on. But how will you go there? I don't know at the moment. I'm trustworthy. You can feel very safe. Now he was blowing smoke rings that were admittedly impressive and carefully timed. I cannot accept your offer, sir. Please excuse me. But I help foreigners all the time. Every day I perform a service. I'm sure you do. Come on, he pointed across the palm-filled piazza toward a bar. My friend is right in there. No. I don't expect money. No, thank you. Only a donation. Whatever you think it's worth. No, but I want to help. At least the city buses here hadn't gone on strike while I was in the station. I rode back down the wide boulevard and rang Maya's doorbell. Natalie, where have you been? She exploded in relief, her face taut. I have been so concerned. You didn't tell Primo you were leaving. We worried that you became lost somewhere or something happened to you. Oh, Madonna, please do not ever do this again. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to worry you, Maya. I just went out wandering and it got late, I guess. I wasn't using my head. Ask me to take you next time. I am happy to accompany you wherever you would like. But if you insist on going out by yourself, at least let us know where to and for how long so that we can keep track. Please. Yes, of course. Please forgive me. I slunk into my room feeling like a chastened teenager. Um, that was one of many attempts I made to get to Alcamo on my own train, bus, whatever I could do, tour. Um, but it, as you can perhaps imagine, wasn't that easy. And Sicily, one of its charms is that it's, it has a very circular sense of time and events rather than linear, you know, I want to go there, I'm going to get there. Um, you may or may not get there. Uh, there may or may not be a bus strike or a train strike or in any kind of strike. The mail may or may not be delivered. They may or may not have the right amount of money in the bank for you when you go to 
exchange your traveler's checks, which was what I was doing at the time this trip happened. Um, It's charming. It's exasperating. Sicily being the old, old culture that it is, it has its own ways, its own sense of time, and its own style of doors opening when you least expect them to open. So um, there are two more days of Easter events, and finally we get down to business after Easter Monday has come and gone. And my cousin, who has continued to be very alarmed for me, uh, worried that something may befall me, um, either inadvertently or because I'm asking too many questions or trying to get myself to Alcamo, which could get me into the deepest kind of water that I personally couldn't imagine. I didn't know what she was talking about. I come from a family of worriers on both sides of the Atlantic. And, um, you know, I, I was just a little bit impatient with her, concern about me. I mean, I wasn't a child when I went on this trip, and I knew how to get around on my own. I'd been a lot of places on my own in the world. And um, she didn't explain exactly why she was so concerned about my welfare. But in any case, um, by chapter 10, we've her son has actually gotten... Um, an old friend who works at the newspaper to open up the vault for us and to look for any traces of material about Franca Viola, which, by the way, I was never able to do here at the Chronicle. I was never able to get into the vault or anywhere near the vault. I couldn't even get past the the entryway. Um, I had a friend who worked at the Chronicle at the time, and he tried to find that filler that I read in the prologue without any success. He, he was certain that they didn't document the fillers, that it was gone forever. And so it was kind of amazing that we got into the newspaper, uh, the Giornale di Sicilia, the main newspaper in Palermo, um, and I was able to gather together several articles and get a head start on what had actually happened when the first notice of this kidnap um, appeared in the paper, which was the day following the event. So this is what I pieced together in English after hours of torturous... Uh, um, um, I, I can only think of the word in Italian right now, traduzione, uh, uh, translation. Um, uh, and, this, and so this is a, as a synopsis of what the newspaper described the first day of uh, Franca Viola's abduction to, to be. So this is Alcamo, December 26, 1965. When police sergeant brigadier Giuseppe Mineo passed Santo Agostino's church on the way to to his office Sunday morning, St. Stephen's Day, he came upon a bleeding woman, Vita Cerro Viola, whose clothes were torn. He brought her to the civic hospital where she was treated for injuries, including a cranial contusion, occipital hematoma, lesions on the front and anterior neck, as well as contusions and abrasions to the right knee and forearm. She cried as she recounted her ordeal. 
She had spent the morning at home with her daughter, Franca, and her young son, Mariano. At 8.30 a.m., a car stopped in front of the house. The engine idled while two young men knocked at the door, asking for her husband. She told them he had gone out and could be found at the Piazza Chula. They left. She recognized neither of them, but stated she did not feel especially suspicious. Half an hour later, two cars pulled up, and eight young men poured out, leaving the motors running. Filippo Melodia, who Vita Cerro knew by sight, approached the entrance. She quickly shut and locked the door. One of the men smashed the door glass, and they shoved their way into her house. They fired shots at the ceiling, causing plaster to fall. She realized why they had come and threw herself at the attackers in a desperate attempt to protect her daughter. Some held her back, while others seized the girl, Franca, and dragged her out of the house through the shattered entrance. Eight-year-old Mariano, her brother, latched onto his sister and did not let go. The men tried to peel his fingers away, but he clung to her dress. Sister and brother were thrown into one of the cars. Vita Cerro ran out after them and grabbed hold of the rear bumper. With volleys of pistol shots ringing out, the vehicle sped down the street, dragging her along until her strength failed and she fell to the ground. Other accounts came from eyewitnesses who ran out in front of the communal slaughterhouse when they heard cars racing by. They saw a white automobile speeding past with two men trying to push off a little boy who was hanging onto the door handle. Police immediately launched a search. By nightfall, no trace had been found. Late that evening, Mariano Viola, who was let go by the kidnappers at the edge of town, made it the rest of the way home on his own. So that's what I'm going to read to you today, and it looks like we have about a quarter of an hour left for questions. Thank you very much, Natalie. Thank you. So I'd like to remind our radio and online audiences that they're listening to Natalie Gali speak about her book, The Girl Who Said No, a story from Sicily, and who would like to ask the first question? Me about the girl or about Sicily or about those expressions? (laughs) About the girl. You were 13 when you read this article. Yeah. Uh, as a 13-year-old in the 60s, how did you feel when you read what had happened to this young woman? Yeah, great. Um, it's a great question because um, it, it completely galvanized me to read this brief account of a girl. Um, Sicily was sort of secondary to it, but as I said, it fi- figured somehow in attracting my attention. But I think if it had been a story of any girl anywhere in any society who had refused a custom this bizarre and twisted and um, entrenched, I would have been galvanized as well. Um, Because it was such a time in my life when I was trying to figure out how the hell do I grow up in this kind of culture. I didn't have the vocabulary necessarily for it, but um, because the women's movement was um, 
three, two or three years away, and so there wasn't even much of a vocabulary. So there was kind of this visceral feeling that this is so wrong. Uh, this is so odd. And even though, and, and I also had a teeny bit, I think, of shame about the fact that my family came from such a backward place. You know, I mean, because I was, I was trying to figure out how to get through adolescence, how to get through the San Francisco public school system at the time. Um, a lot of things I was trying to figure out. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up and what, what how does a girl navigate um, what turned out to be, you know, a patriarchal sexist system. I didn't have either of those words in my vocabulary, but I sure had the visceral feeling of, oh, I can't, I just, this is so wrong. This is so wrong. Can't everyone see how wrong this is? And I remember thinking to myself, well, if no one else in that society, but one person knows it's wrong, and that person is Franca Viola, you know, at least she knew it was wrong and she wasn't going to have any part of it. So it was a complicated reaction that I had to, to, the, um, to the article. Yeah. What, what you just read, the excerpt uh, says that the mother was trying to stop it, right? Her mother was trying to stop it and you yeah. held onto the car. Later on, did the mother uh, stay siding with Franca? Or? It's a great question, honestly. Um, it's sort of central to the story did the mother and the father too um were they supportive to her they were completely supportive to her um and and there was in and it's in the book uh, a, an article entitled uh franca viola's father is a new man in sicily he dares to 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 take his daughter's concerns into consideration over what the traditions are mm-hmm. that he he knew that he knew it was wrong as well and if she was unhappy after she was returned after the kidnap when it was expected that there would be a wedding and you know cake and da, 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 um, that um, that if that was not what she wanted that she, he was he he supported her 100 percent and he never wavered from that as well as the mother neither did yeah. Next question. In the motivation for the kidnapping, was there any sort of family feud involved? Was there any sort of family feud involved in the motivation for the kidnapping? No, not um, family in the um, nuclear sense of the our, our nuclear sense of family, um, but in a smallish city. Um, like Alcamo, there was certainly a long history of intimidation and mafia um, bullying. So, so I don't want to give too much away because there's quite a mystery here, in, and it does unfold in a in a way that I hope is engrossing. <laughs> um, um, but the man who kidnapped her really wanted her. I mean, he he assumed he would get her as his wife. And they had known each other prior to the kidnap, and they had been engaged at one time. But that means, as I read, that uh, he came to visit, he saw her, she was very beautiful. Uh, um, She was 15 or maybe even 14 when he first sort of courted her. But again, courting is too generous an expression. The constraints... 
um, placed on young people to to find mates um, were so extreme that they they could never they really didn't spend very much time together and to be a fidanzato a, a fiance um, or to be engaged meant well okay he's sort of a sort of a boyfriend, but that didn't mean that they really knew each other or that they spent much time together. He just kind of had put his sights on her. And um, when he proved himself to be a petty criminal, she was no longer interested in him. And um, he, uh, he went away to Germany for a while to find work. Work was very hard to find, as it still is in the South. Um, she 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 lost interest whatever interest she had but again it was sort of a formal and not necessarily that significant of an engagement if that answers your question yeah it's really important for me to make these subtle distinctions um, because how I mean even you know for anyone it's hard to know who if if there's an attraction between two people and they're getting to know each other sometimes stuff doesn't come out for quite a long time. I mean, that's just how it is. Um, to have this level of restriction may, makes a mockery of any kind of um, um, freedom in, in, or, yeah, I mean, in the, in the worst case of these extreme customs, it, 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 it was impossible to know who you were marrying. And I've heard many accounts of women who... Um, um, hardly had a chance to get to know someone who showed an interest in them before they were kind of hooked. Uh, I mean, I mean, they hitched. I mean, or in one case, um, in, in in this country, raped. Um, and that happened here in San Francisco. And I I have an, a close friend whose great great grandmother was swept up on horseback by a man who dragged her away. She never saw her family again. That was in Partana in, in the interior of Sicily. So um, it's, 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 there's, there are a lot of nuances, but the, the, the point is that there wasn't a lot of choice and exercising of free will and on, on um, either you know, partner's part, but certainly the girls, the restrictions of being able to go out on the street even, even that, and that's described in an earlier part of the story, were uh, huge. Could it just You weren't a free agent. It sounds very familiar. We read about certain countries where the, these uh, c- customs still exist, and it's all part of that same um, mentality, which arrived in Sicily a long time ago, along with all the invaders and all the colonizers and all the traders and all the influences from every part of the Mediterranean and beyond, and these things really stuck on the island till you know, 1966, which is astonishing. Questions? Hi. Um, oh, yeah. This, this kidnapping sounds very brutal. Were most of them like that, or, or do you not know? Well, I don't really know. I mean, there's such a long history, and I wasn't able to research the whole array of um, behaviors that happened over centuries. I mean, some were, were uh, um, consensual, as I 
read Maya saying some were consensual and the parents didn't want it for some reason. And if the parents were the ones making the choice, you know, for economic reasons or family um, interest reasons or any number of reasons, the, the, uh, the young people didn't necessarily have that much freedom in general about that. But I, I would say that this is one of, on the extreme end of probably the spectrum. And some marriages were, were very happily um, arranged or, or secured by this custom, but some were, were horrid. And one can only imagine the repercussions of being stuck with someone for the rest of one's life who had violate, you know, been, had violated them. What a, it's unimaginable. As I said, when I as a 13 year old, my mind was just, I, I couldn't, I just couldn't comprehend this uh, lack of sovereignty and, and, and freedom. But it's a great question because there are probably, you know, many um, people who have studied this. Hi. Hi. Um, you mentioned, um, people having a sense of shame f- from being from the South. Mm-hmm. Um, is that after they leave, do they have a sense of shame or do people there have a <clears throat> sense of shame? The sense of shame from the South is also a complicated thing. I, th- what I was referring to was the arrival here, um, mostly, um, because on the pecking order here of immigrants, Sicilians were the lowest down south of the Italians. Um, in, it, Italians often felt that way about Sicilians, very disparaging, mostly out of an ignorance of what Sicily even was or is. <clears throat> um, but uh, so the shame that I was referring to was the, the, the sense that speaking Sicilian pegged you as a you know, undesirable, and that um, Northern Italian was more acceptable, but that didn't mean, for any set of immigrants, there's this dilemma. You leave the place you love, but you can't stay for whatever usually tragic or very unfortunate reason. There's such an urgency to leave and um, to come here and to be looked down upon um, must have been a very bizarre feeling. Um, but I had one other thought about that, which is, oh yes, that that I think Sicily, um, it, 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 it has a fascinating and very bloody history, but I do think that the shame there has to do, <clears throat> had to do with the sense of oppression that was just kind of ingrained in in the populace because of the 5,000 years of invasion, the 5,000 years of colonization and brutality. There was a lot, so many, you know, groups left their mark in wonderful cultural ways, but there was a lot of bloodshed and a lot of suffering. There were a lot of pestilences and starvation. There was a lot of starvation at times. It's, it's It's an amazingly long and fascinating and touching history. Yeah. And shame. One more thing about shame. <laughs> um, I think the shame of being female, I think, it, I think things got sort of codified 
in the female in in Sicily um, that you know we're constantly being attacked. We're constantly marauded. We have to protect our girls from being carried off, like the scene I described with the horseback. We have to keep them safe, um, and and. Also, uh, as a part of that, Sicily had a very ancient and fascinating goddess tradition. Fascinating and very strong. And so, um, if any of you are familiar with the the symbol of the Trinacria, which is the head of Medusa, surrounded by three uh, legs, they're running. And yes, and you, some of you are. It's an ancient symbol of Sicily. It was mentioned by uh, Homer in the Odyssey, uh, which is really a story of, surround, of circumnavigating the island, not only coming back from the Trojan War, but <laughs> get, going all the way around the edge of the island. Um, that head of Medusa is really worth studying because that severed head is kind of the end of the goddess-worshipping um, period of time, um, which requires a whole other study, and it's really fascinating and complicated. But that the, the, somehow the, the female became the, the receptacle of all of the hurt and shame and, and distress that I think the culture felt over time. And this is all sort of unconscious, which makes it all the more powerful. So that you could end up with a, a tradition like this that, you know, even the, some of the girls in Franca's town called her a whore and a witch. You know, blame the victim. It's intense. We have it here, too. We have shame here, of course. Do you think that the reaction to that history includes the mafia? I mean, having a violent reaction and having to control things violently when you're under attack all the time is yes. also a reaction to everything that's happened. Yes, the mafia is a, is a, a symptom of um, an island under attack. And um, my, I have limited understanding and hi- about the history of the mafia, and I'm not sure I really want to know that much more about it, honestly, because it's so painful. But um, it, it has been described to me that the mafia was originally a protective um, organization, there to protect its own from attack from outside. Then, of course, it, it metastasized into something hor- horrid and, you know... And, but I, I think that c- it can also be found in cultures around the world as well. But right. it's been so romanticized, the mafia, that um, by Hollywood, I think, mm-hmm. even though we all know how dreadful you know, and frightening that kind of terrorism is. But yes, it's so true. It's part of the picture of the wounding of the island. Mm-hmm. I think so. Uh, we have time to maybe one more question. Someone have another question? Well, thank a Sicilian you very much. silence descended on the room. <laughs> Meh. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, everyone, for coming. And so ends another event of the Commonwealth Club in its 117th year of enlightened discussion. Thank you all for coming. <laughs>